Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Ask the Dean, episode 63 with Verinia Granum, Dr. Scott Wright, and Rachel Grubbs, mm-hmm. a.k.a. the marvelous MAP Mayhem team, brought to you by MAP. We are mapped. Rachel Grubbs, my co-founder at Mapped, Mapped.com. How are you doing today? I'm great. I'm very excited to be here. This is always one of the best parts of the week. It is. Uh, and I love that we start the week with it, uh, at least for now. Schedules may be changing. Uh, we'll, we'll put a pin in that soon. But uh, but yeah, I love I love starting the week with my, my favorite crew here. Dr. Scott Wright, how are you doing? Hello, hello, hello. My fellow doing, human. Doing great. Yeah, I am a human. It, just so everybody knows, <laughs> I am a human. But I'm doing really well. Thank you for asking. Yes, yes. We are we are working to um, create an AI of your brain so we have it in mapped and so that we don't have to pay wages anymore because oh. we don't like doing that. Wah, but that's uh, what, what we're doing. <laughs> Verinia Granum, how are you doing? You are muted. Okay, so start over. I'm doing great. Thank you. Can I can I be a hologram though? Uh, hol- holographic uh, is is a little bit out of our budget, oh, but okay. one day maybe when the prices come down, there you go. We'll get holographic guests here on uh, Ask the Dean. That'd we'll awesome. love it. We'll love it. Um, so we have some amazing new stuff in store. Mm-hmm. That all MAPTA members should be looking for probably in the next couple days. Mm-hmm. Rachel, you want to talk about MapChat? Yeah. So um, I mentioned this a little bit for those of you that are watching, we're watching live last week, but MapChat is a way for you to message the MAPTA advising team and get a response back, not real time, but pretty close, you know, within a day or or less whenever we can do it. So this will be something we're adding on to the mapped app. If you're happy with the amount of outreach you're getting with us just through the weekly live Q&A and through the map members only group, then no changes for you. But if you're interested in adding on this service, then what you're going to have is the ability to message us through maps so that we can look at your profile answer your specific questions and give you feedback. Um, so this is going to be launching TBD, but sometime very soon in the next few days or week or so. Um, and you'll be able to sign up for a whole year and get some savings, or you can sign up for um, as little as one month if you just want to try it out and be sure if you like it. So there'll be lots of flexibility in the way you add that on. And um, all four of us will be using it. So it's just one more way to get direct access to Scott. Ryan, Verinia, and me. Yeah, 
That's it. As well as um, the the Blueprint team, we've partnered with Blueprint as our MCAT people, and we'll have a direct line of access to them. So if you have specific MCAT questions that that maybe our pre med knowledge uh, doesn't cover, although Rachel, you you are an MCAT expert uh, yourself, being a former part of that Blueprint team as well, mm-hmm. uh, formerly Next Step Test Prep, then uh, then we can reach out to Blueprint as well. So. Yeah, excited for right. it all. I do know a lot about MCAT, but I'll definitely take advantage of the folks that are actively teaching, actively writing those courses since we have that relationship with them. So you're getting, you know, MCAT knowledge like any expertise involves, right? So we'll make sure you're getting the latest and greatest through them. That is it. And if you have added your advisor to MAPT and your advisor has opted in to allowing chat you can chat with your advisor, your non-mapped advisor mm-hmm. in mapped as well. And that's, that's a feature built in. They don't have to pay anything extra for it. It's just, it's there for, for you to chat with your advisors. So that's, that's what we got going on in mapped. So excited for, for everything going on. Uh, as we wait for some questions to come in, it is that time of year where, where it's, it's interview season. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interview season and students are worried about traveling during this time. Scott, what are your thoughts on if a student has planned travel, what they should be doing in terms of communicating with medical schools? Should they just not tell medical schools what's going on and just wait to see if they potentially get an interview invite and then go, hey, I would love to interview with you, but I'm not available that week. Can I do it next week? Or what what does that process look like? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, Number one, I think if you you are anticipating uh, interviewing, which, you know, everybody hopes and prays that they're going to be interviewing uh, late summer, early, and in the fall, my recommendation is don't travel and make yourself as as uh, flexible as possible uh, for to respond to these to to respond to requests for interviews. Now, if you've already had things planned and uh, and and you can't you know you can't get out of it and other people are involved and often you have family vacations or there are things like that, then just be honest with the medical schools and uh, and you know tell them what's going on. Most of the medical schools will give you. Uh, choices in terms of when you can interview. Uh, they'll, you know, give you some, uh, often they'll give you several dates and let you choose from them. But uh, many of them, probably most of them are going to be somewhat flexible in terms of giving you the opportunity to uh, to rearrange that if for some reason you can't hit the date that they've, uh, that they've given you. So number one, make yourself as flexible as possible. Number two, just be as honest as you can with them about your availability. And, uh, and then, you know, they, they will work with you on that. Yep. yep. So travel, if you have to, Try not to travel, though, because there's lots of stuff going on. I think uh, I saw a recent post. Somebody said, I'm I'm traveling these days, and where I'm at, I'm not going to have good internet connection for these virtual interviews. Uh, What do I do? And that's just, it's going to come up here, there, and everywhere. So Mm -hmm. hopefully with virtual interviews, students are more flexible with where where they can be during that time. Uh, But internet connection is important. So absolutely. Make sure you get a good internet connection. And just a, um, a word 
of caution, not a word of caution. That's not the right thing. Public service announcement for two things. Number one, for fire prevention or fire awareness and for the annoyance for medical school interviewers. When you're at home doing these virtual interviews, replace the batteries in your smoke detectors, please. (laughs) You have lived in that world so long that you don't hear the beeps anymore. But when I, as an interviewer, come on and do an interview with you, I'm going to hear it. So please change your batteries. Number one, so you don't annoy the interviewer. And number two, so you don't die in a fire. That would be good. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Might I suggest something else as well? I would love it. If, If you have any pets, make sure you crate them or put them in another room. I had a mock interview recently with a student whose dog was clearly in the background and it became very distracting for her. A little distracting for me. I knew, obviously, the pet was there, but I don't know. You know, it's just a good idea. Make sure your pets are safely created or in another room. Yeah, it's it's just all the house things, right? Mm-hmm. All the stuff that you know you've learned to live with. Um, you know, yep. like, mm-hmm. you've just got to talk to your house about how how can we change it for this one hour? Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Does that mean that somebody in the family needs to take the toddler and the puppy for a really long walk to the playground, right? Like mm-hmm. you just got to figure out what you're going to do to make that house quiet. Yeah. And if you can't do that, then I would say uh, reserve a study room at the at your uh, library or at the public library. Uh, there are some options that can get you out of the house into a, a bit quieter place. Um, and uh, so that's, a, I, I've had that occur before and it worked out really well. So, um, you know, look at, look at options that, that you might have available to you if you're concerned about that. Yep. All good ideas. All right. Let's uh, questions, do yeah. some questions here. First student says, I'm applying next cycle and I keep hearing about committee letters. I was wondering if I should go ahead and request one or at least know I should request one when the time comes. The medical schools I've looked at are wanting the traditional three letters of recs, science and non-science personal, and none say anything about a committee letter. Thank you. Committee letters, one of the most confusing parts of the process. And if you've listened to me long enough, you know that I bow to fight committee letters till the day I die. Mm-hmm. Um, but Scott, what is what is your thought on, on these committee letters? Yeah, I definitely think that if if your um, institution, if your undergraduate institution has a committee letter process, I recommend go, th- go through the process, particularly uh, if it is a process that is open to you. Some, some uh, universities have some restrictions on committee letters, which I think is part of what Ryan's beef with them is. And, uh, and, and I agree. I think it's, it's a bit of a, a challenge sometimes. <clears throat> but if you're eligible to do that, I think there is a value in it. I think it can be often they come with mock interviews that, that occur, uh, that you go through to have the com- committee uh, evaluate you. So just, uh, I, I would say, if your university does it, then uh, always good to go through it uh, to, to uh, because some of the medical schools will at times question, well, 
particularly if it's a if it's an institution that's fairly well known and uh, they have a lot of students come from that institution, they may want to know why you didn't go through the committee letter process, and it just saves some uh, some pro- you know potential problems, not severe, but potential problems in the future if you if you go through that process. Yeah. yeah. I want to withdraw the cycle, but my AMCAS application just got processed this morning after it was ready to be reviewed three weeks ago. The original email I got said it would take six to eight weeks from that point. I can't withdraw now. Says who? Uh, Do I just not send secondaries to that school? Will I still be considered a reapplicant on their website? It says they only review files when they are complete, which includes secondaries. The website of the school I applied to, not the AAMC website. So, shocker, a lot of people submit primary applications and don't go on to to finish applying to medical school, right? It's uh, whether they got a bad MCAT score or just life gets in the way and they decide that they want to delay their applications or their application gets processed through AMCAS and they go, uh-oh, I didn't know my GPA was that bad because they didn't use mapped and they go, I, I should maybe wait uh, a little bit and take some more classes to improve my GPA. There are lots of reasons why students submit a primary application and then not finish the application cycle. There's this fear about being a reapplicant and, and schools will have different definitions potentially of reapplicant. Um, but on AMCAS specifically, it'll say when you are assigning schools, are you a reapplicant to this school? Um, and you just put yes or no, and it's it's not a it's not this like scarlet letter that people think happens. Brittany, you have any thoughts on on uh, this student here? Yeah, I mean, I would definitely if you're not, um, you know, it's okay to not go through with it as Dr. Gray was just explaining, um, and you know, things happen. Life gets in the way. Um, I do have a question for you, Dr. Gray, as far as being a, a in this case, is the student, when they reapply, um, they would be considered a reapplicant? Sorry, to, it was cut out a little yeah, bit. Yeah, to, to the schools that they applied to previously, it, it's going to depend, right? And there's this gray area. Like, is there a strict definition? If they didn't submit a secondary to that school, but they were assigned on the primary application, are they considered a reapplicant? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. It's it's there's this gray area, Scott. Right. Well, there is. Uh, I, I, I know that TMDSAS, what we consider to be a reapplicant is if somebody if your ap- primary application is processed and received by the institution, you're a reapplicant. So it doesn't matter if you did secondaries. It doesn't matter if you submitted a transcript. I um uh, uh, MCAT score, you, you submitted a primary application, which makes you an applicant. Now, whether you complete the app, com- complete, uh, your application is a whole different story, but that's the definition that TMDSAS uses. And so yeah. I would say, uh, I, I would go, that's a, con- you know, somewhat conservative, uh, definition perhaps, but I would say that, uh, if you are, um, if you've complete, if you've um, uh, completed the AMCAS application, and you know it's been processed and then therefore sent to the schools that you identified in it, then you can need to consider yourself a reapplicant for those schools. Yeah. So uh, according to the FAQs on on 
AMCAS's website, the WMC website. It says you are only a reapplicant to schools that previously received an AMCAS application from you. So same definition mm-hmm. as TMDSAS, it sounds right, like. So right. secondaries doesn't matter. Nothing else matters. If if you assigned a school and that school got your primary application, right. you are a reapplicant. So again, is that a bad thing? Nope. No. You, just, you, you put that you're a reapplicant when you apply. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you may get uh, that may warrant a different secondary or a potential secondary question that says, if you're a reapplicant, tell us what you've done to improve your application. And then guess what? Just answer that question. That is all. If I have been placed in an eligible for interview category at my dream medical school but have yet to be invited, hopefully soon, can I send a letter of intent? They allow three PDF updates, and I was thinking of uploading my letter of intent from now. I saw this question. I, I, I don't know if it was in Mapped or if it was uh, in, in uh, the Hangout or somewhere, but I, I saw the student ask this question. Uh, my, my response was no. Like it's, You don't send a letter of intent now, right? So, in other words, that letter of intent would be, I intend to show up if you invite me. <laughs> I know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my letter of intent is, I, I want to go to your school. I intend to go to your school. Uh, I still don't have an interview invite, but I'm just letting you know. <laughs> like, okay, great. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. There, there's a little desperation there, sending a letter of intent this early in the process, yeah. Yeah. even before an interview. Yeah. I, I think in, in our definition, a letter of intent is post-interview at the very earliest. Um, and ideally, even after you already have an acceptance somewhere else and you're letting the, your dream medical school know if you've had an interview again, post interview, uh, say, Hey, like, uh, I just want to let you know, I still want to come to your school. I do have an interview or an acceptance elsewhere, but if you invite uh, you accept me, I'm coming, (laughs) I'm coming. So uh, that that's changed a lot with traffic rules. If you Google AMCAS traffic rules, um, that that changed a couple of years ago. It used to be easier for medical schools to see where you have been accepted, so that they pre accepting you, they could go, hmm, like Johnny has an acceptance here and here and here. They probably aren't going to come to our school, so we're not going to offer an acceptance. Um, Schools can't see that information anymore, which I I like. I like that they can't see that. I don't think that's information that schools need to see. Um, But schools don't like it because then they have to make decisions of like, if I invite this person, are they going to come? Are they not going to come? If they don't come, when will I find out? And then I have to invite someone else and they're scrambling up until orientation starts, which can be frustrating. Yep. I remember one year on that note, one year we, uh, when I was at UT Southwestern, we had a student and we would do that. You know, if we have a place come up in the class, we're going to fill it regardless of when it is. We had a student that we, uh, we had a, uh, place come up in the class two days before the class started <clears throat> and we filled that place. And we, yeah. I called, I called a, a student. He, we, we, uh, Southwestern's in Dallas. We, he was in Houston and I said, I know it's short notice, but we got a spot. If you take it, he said, I'll be there. I'll be there. And, and you said, I have a, a room in my house that you can stay in. <laughs> you can crash on my couch until you find an apartment. Not quite. <laughs> I mean, hey, it ain't over till it's over, right? That's right. It, 
not. Yeah. That's right. So I, I, I have a student right now who's num they she knows she's number one on the wait list at at a mm. medical school and she's just dying. Like uh she was a student who applied last year without an MCAT score. And mm. so um she found out she was number one on the wait list and, and she's scrambling to finish one class uh that she didn't have a physics class that's required for matriculation. So she's finishing that, which means she put off the MCAT again, which she was going to study for. Mm. So if she doesn't get off the wait list at number one, she's got to wait a whole nother year to apply. Oh, bless her heart. Yeah. So I have, I have my fingers and toes crossed for her. Yeah, right. <laughs> my, my foot fingers. We'll light some candles too. <laughs> okay. Everybody set her as your intention when you practice yoga. There you go. There you go. <laughs> All of these good vibes go to her. <laughs> I've seen SAT scores come up a few times in secondaries. Is a high SAT score advantageous at all for medical schools or does it not really matter? So I only know, well, TMDSAS asks for SAT scores mm-hmm. for whatever reason. <laughs> Scott, you can talk about that. Um, I know LECOM asks for SAT scores. And I, I think it's optional if, if you want to be considered uh, a different way than your MCAT score. LECOM has some sort of formula that they use to, to work your SAT score into some sort of equation. So um, yeah, really at the end of the day, what, what do you think schools are using SAT scores for, Scott? Um, I know at TMDSAS, the reason we asked for that is to understand better what their performance on standardized tests is. And so if we see, if they, if they have sort of a marginal MCAT score and we see that their SAT score was also marginal, then, then it may be an issue of uh, test anxiety or just test taking skills in general. Uh, whereas, you know, and, and so I don't think it's a big deal. I don't think a lot of the schools actually use it. Uh, that much, uh, but it can be somewhat in, informative for the for the medical schools if they see that you know if they see that there's a consistency there in terms of in terms of testing. Uh, so th- that's really the only thing. I'd say it's a minor part. Yeah, Brittany, any thoughts on SAT scores there? No, I'm just thinking with so many schools going testing optional, SAT optional. Will will it still even be? you know, part of that process for yeah. LECOM, for instance. Just yeah. wondering. That is the question. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, California is going optional next year, I think. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Lots of money going to be lost in the, for the test prep <laughs> companies and testing companies. Well, they've been riding the gravy train for years, <laughs> so I have no sympathy. <laughs> yep, yeah. Tests will never go away, though. No. You know, the SAT may go away, but tests will yeah. never go away. That's, this is true. Hashtag, is the MCAT next? <laughs> hashtag, hashtag, if only. Yeah. <laughs> hashtag, no, probably the GRE is next, except it mm-hmm. makes too much money internationally. Oops. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> no. All right, let's, let's stay on task. 
<laughs> I'm a behavioral neuroscience psychology major. That's a big major. And basically every one of my classes for my major is on the border of being BCPM slash AO. This will heavily affect my science GPA and I'm having trouble officially categorizing the all since I could argue for both BCPM or AO, meaning all other for the majority of them. This is a confusion for a lot of students. Uh, one of the features of MAPT is we use some, uh, some kind of fuzzy matching keyword searching algorithm stuff to try to determine when you select a course inside MAPT. We go, yep, this is a science course, and it, it will pre-select uh, your AMCAS, a COMIS, and TMDSAS science GPA. If it's a math course, obviously, it won't select it for a COMIS because math, uh, uh, COMIS doesn't consider math a science course, at least in terms of science GPA. Uh, but really, at the end of the day, right, at the end of the day, you categorizing your courses is up to you. Yep. And then it's up to the application services. This is part of the verification process. They adjudicate whether or not they right. agree with your categorization of the courses. Right. And they may have their own database on the back end. If they do, shame on them for not just making it known right at the beginning what those courses are. Uh, or they may kind of update this on a yearly basis and go, oh, we, need, we need to look at the syllabus. We need to look at this. We need to look at that to determine if these courses are science. Um, so yep. do your best to pick what mm -hmm. you think it is. And then AMCAS, ACOMAS, TMDSAS will, will, uh, convert it or send it back yep. to you. If, if you have too many that they need to fix. Mm -hmm. Exactly right. In other words, I can't help you. <laughs> you yeah. take, and, and I would say in general, uh, what, what we used to use at TMDSAS is, um, in general, if 50% of the content, at least 50% of the content is science, is hard science. Uh, in the case of, uh, of neuroscience, which is often, I think, one of the most complicated ones to uh, make that judgment on, uh, we're looking for biology. If, if, if more than 50% of the course content is biological in nature, and what you can always do, uh, you wouldn't want to have to do this for a lot of classes, but if you just had one that you were looking at and you were unsure about, uh, ask your professor what their opinion is, and, uh, and if you could submit a letter from the professor saying, uh, you know, kind of giving their opinion about it. That can be uh, helpful. I used to look at lots of syllabi and lots of uh, course descriptions and uh, uh, et cetera, uh, and, and to try to make that determination of, of what's the content. Some of them are where some of the students were really stretching it to, to make that case, and, and, uh, and, and we would say no. But uh, the uh, TMDSAS does make that database available to students mm -hmm. so that they can uh, make a judgment uh, on which, which classes count, and I think that's very helpful for a lot of students. But, uh, you know, and, and, and so don't be afraid to, to, to make your best guess, as, as Ryan said, and then, and then uh, let, let AMCAS do their work. Yep, yep. Yeah, and, and that TMDSAS database um, we use very heavily in creating mm -hmm. our, our information inside of maps mm -hmm. as well. Yep. With the approval of TMDSAS, because they are our friends. Woohoo! <laughs> I know people. 
Yeah. And I mean, for this question asker, I think props to you because you understand that there's some subjectivity. Like we yeah. can tell by the way you ask the question that yeah. you're having trouble categorizing. And it, so we're, so, I'm sorry that the answer isn't a cut and dry, but I applaud you that you already went into it understanding. It's not tell me the right answer, but how do I think through an answer yeah. I can defend? So yeah. That's they're, a neuroscience. they're a neuroscience major. You're out. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Way to use those thinking skills. We're, we like it. We like it. I love it. <laughs> All right. Do most schools base their cutoff solely on cumulative GPA and do not combine cumulative GPA with graduate GPA? How do most schools use the graduate GPA? Thank you again for your help. So just a, a definition thing uh, before we jump in here. Cumulative GPA, um, as, we, as we built out MAPT, we learned all these little nuances in definitions. Uh, cumulative G GPA that you see in MAPT and, and how the majority of people who talk about cumulative GPA, it's referring to strictly undergraduate GPA. So not true cumulative, just undergraduate. And then graduate GPA and then Application services use the definition of overall GPA to have the combination cumulative plus graduate. So with that said, I, I think it's, it's hard when you get a question about what do schools do? The answer is always whatever they want, right? That's hard. Yeah, yeah. What do you think here, Verinia? I agree with you. Some will do it that way. Some will combine it. So it's really up to the school. Yeah. It's hard. Mm -hmm. And and I will say that the, the, the questioner makes a, a, an assumption that there are cutoffs at every school. And mm -hmm. uh, I don't think that that's necessarily true, hard and fast. Uh, they may have cutoffs to invite some interviewees uh, to, to, uh, to, to interview at their school. Uh, they may have a, a certain segment of their applicant pool uh, that they invite strictly based on the numbers. And then, and then others get, um, you know, if they don't meet the cutoffs, then they, then they get a, a, a fuller uh, review process. I mean, there's a variety of ways you can cut that up. So I don't think you have to necessarily assume that there are hard and fast cutoffs. And if you fell under it, that you're dead in the water. I, I, I don't think that's always the case. Yeah. An episode of the old pre-meds podcast that I think is going to go out on the pre-med years this week as well is, is one that I did. Um, a, a student posted in the pre-med forums that I run that she's worried that her coursework from 10 years ago is going to prevent her from getting into medical school. She's in her early 30s. She has a 4.0 in her post-bac, although she didn't define what that is. Is it 10 credits, 5 credits, 40 credits? Um, she had a bad year. She had something happen to her. She had a bad year in undergrad. I think it was her sophomore year from, from reading it, where she had a bunch of Fs and, and some withdrawals and other things. And when she adds everything together, her GPA is a 317, science GPA 335. That tells me the far majority of her other grades are really good, including yeah. a strong postback. If having a bunch of Fs, you still have that high of a GPA, which is great. And she's worried. I, I think this mentality that students get into is my GPA is my GPA and that's all that schools care about. And, and the answer is no, right? Why we break down GPAs in so many different ways and show the graphs and show the trends in mapped is to show you what potentially medical schools are seeing 
Medical schools get every single data point, just like you enter into maps, just like you enter into your application service. And medical schools get all of that data. They don't just get a final GPA calculation from the application service. And so medical schools have the ability to go, I only want to see the last 60 credit hours. I don't care what happened before then. I only want to see the last 60, last 30, last 20, whatever it is. And schools will do what they want with it. They can even recalculate GPAs by removing a full year of bad grades. Uh, an example I gave uh, in, in the episode that I just recorded was uh, a good friend of ours, uh, Dr. Layla Amiri at University of Illinois, Chicago. They have the ability, their admissions committee, they understand that life happens. They understand that something that happened like the student who who struggled one year and got a bunch of Fs and then figured things out and, and improved, they understand that it happens, right? And they have the empathy enough and compassion enough to go, you know what? We don't want that bad year to hold you back for the rest of your career. So we're going to just delete it like it didn't happen and recalculate your GPA without that bad year. So medical schools will do what they want. You, you have to understand that, that it's your total history of everything and not just one bad year that's going to define you. Exactly. Well said. To put it another way, you are more than your stats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wise believe. person said. Huh? Yeah, I wonder who that was. Um, All right, we had a whole lot of questions that I had had sent to me that I passed in, but let's get some from our live folks. A few schools I've reached out to offer in-state residency residency to those using the 9-11 GI Bill, but will that give you the in-state benefit as well in regard to admissions consideration? Probably depends on the state, huh? Yeah. That's interesting. I I think they're saying in-state tuition. Right, right, right. To those using the 9-11 bill. Right. Right, which kind of makes sense, right? The the government is saying, hey, we're not going to charge Uncle Sam out-of-state tuition because it's it's all, we're going to be friendly to Uncle Sam who's footing the bill here. Mm -hmm. Uh, But whether or not they're going to consider you in-state in terms of admissions, it's probably going to depend on the school. My my guess, my gut tells me no. Right. Yeah, I agree. But reach out to schools and ask. Yeah. yeah. Should I speak about being appointed kinship of three children under three twin infants Woo. for a family friend? And if so, where should I talk about it? Side note, I'm a single male and it was the week of my MCAT. Wow. <laughs> Ouch. Awesome. Wow. Scott, I think this falls under one of those things of like, if schools don't ask for it, like, do you need to force it in somewhere? My question would be, why would you want to put this in? Right, right. I, I, I don't, I'm not familiar with kinship. I don't know exactly what that means and what the legal obligations are and, you know, et cetera. But I agree with you, Ryan, completely. If it, it was not specifically asked and it, it was going to be a stretch to sort of, include that in a secondary or in your, um, you know, I could see it being in, in a question, potentially uh, a secondary question, which said one of those questions, which says, is there anything else our admissions committee should consider uh, when reviewing your application? I could, I could maybe see it, but I think, you know, you'd really have to talk about what this, 
what is the impact of, of having been appointed this and, and what are you, you know, what is it required of you, et cetera, to, uh, to understand better kind of what that means. Mm-hmm. That's a tricky one. Yeah, yeah it, it is. is. I couldn't fit into the secondary of a public state med school that I have a lot of family living in the state and visit frequently. Would it be worth sending an email to the admissions office of the school or will they just tell me to go? <laughs> just tell me to go scratch. <laughs> I've never heard that. <laughs> never heard that term before. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, send them a picture of you in their state at the, you know, when you drive in the state and there's the big <laughs> the sign, sign that welcome says, to. welcome to whoever, you know, t- take a picture of that and then mm. send it to them. A um, video montage of every yeah. year. That you can. <laughs> okay. uh, so Uncle Google, he says that go scratch is British slang for mm. refusal, which I think we got the gist of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So a little yeah. Britishism here. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm learning a lot of Britishism with the, the new TV show I'm watching. Uh, Line of Fire or something like that. Line, line of Duty. Line of Duty. Oh, okay. so good. Okay. So good. Is it on Netflix, Netflix or what? Uh, it's on Amazon Prime. Oh, okay. It's, it's a really good cop show. Okay. Okay. I like it. I like it. Anyway. Um, yeah. Like if, if the school didn't ask for it, they probably don't yeah. care. I wouldn't yeah. bother them. Yeah. Maybe would an, would an interview be an appropriate time to maybe mention this? Sure, if an interview, like, why do you want to come to our school? Well, hey, I come here a bunch. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah my aunt and uncle live here or mm-hmm. whatever. We come visit all the time. And- if it comes up organically, right. don't yeah. force it in. Yeah. 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 And by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did I mention I have a large family here? Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it didn't come up in the secondary, so mm-hmm. it must not be top of the mm-hmm. why'd yeah. you pick our school? Yeah. What else did you want us to know? Because it already, you know, didn't fit into those opportunities. Yep. All right. Well, as often happens, we got a little popcorn lull. We get those in the middle end. Yeah. Um, I have a question I'd like to ask you, Rachel. Would that mm. Be okay. Mm-hmm. Good. So I was uh, working with a student today, uh, a one-on-one advising session, and this particular student took a, a diagnostic MCAT, and uh, their their diagnostic MCAT score was four ninety four. Okay. And she said that she did not study at all for it, and has not taken physics or biochemistry. Yeah. And so I was very encouraged by that number. I thought that sounded pretty good for a diagnostic that hadn't studied for and having not taken those pretty significant classes. I mean, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Um, on a baseline diagnostic, if they're truly going in cold, not, you know, I studied my MCAT books for three months before I took my baseline. Mm-hmm. Um, anything north of 500 to me is really heartening. And anything in the 490s is totally normal. Yeah. You said she hadn't taken physics and what else? Biochem. Yeah. So the biochem is particularly impressive, right? Mm-hmm. Because physics is sometimes only, you know, 8 or 11% of the test. Okay. Um, 
and it, of course, forms vary, right? So on any given MCAT, you could get a higher or lower percentage. But biochem is usually a plurality, right? It's, it, it shows up in at least two sections. And in, because of the neuroscience, it can actually show up in the psych soch too. So it could be in three sections of the exam. Um, so to not have an, a biochem academic foundation and get a 494, either she got super or he, the, they got very right. lucky with their form, um, or they just have really amazing critical reading skills. Right. Um, Could be. Yeah. People forget how strong reading skills will get you. So much of the MCAT is not what's the right answer, but what does the MCAT want you to think here? You know, sometimes you can actually get yourself in trouble by having deeper knowledge than the MCAT's testing. Um, Overthink you know, it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, right, literally not just overthink it, but, but literally like no more than it's getting at, you know, like, I think the classic example is serotonin um, is sometimes used um, with people with schizophrenia, but can actually exacerbate those things. So it's not always good, but usually the MCAT's talking about serotonin. They're just talking about the thing that makes you happy, right? Like they're not getting into that deeper level of neuroscience about it. Um, and I don't have the science, so someone can type in and tell me if I got that wrong, but that's an example of something that like, what would you learn in an, uh, earlier biochem class versus, you know, a higher level neuroscience course, right? And gotcha. what, what's the MCAT testing? The MCAT is almost always, um, it's like, it's like water skiing instead of scuba diving, you know, so very shallow, a lot yeah. of territory covered <laughs> <laughs> um, as opposed to very, very deep. <laughs> yeah, that's a good metaphor. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, do you know when she's taking the test? Uh, she's got uh, January probably. Yeah, so she's got plenty to do it right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Kill it. Yeah, kill it, kill it. Go sign up for a free Blueprint MCAT account. They have flashcards that are coming as we're recording this 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 Wednesday. Fifteen hundred amazing flashcards on their a brand new platform that they built. Mm -hmm. So, with that, might be a short one today. Yeah, we'll end a little early. Thanks, everyone, for coming, asking yeah. some great questions. Yeah. Good luck to all of you in the middle of secondaries and interviews. If you need any help with, with any of those, go to mapped.com, M-A-P-P-D.com. We're all available to help you uh, one-on-one with anything you need. Yep, always. All right. Take care, everyone. Bye. 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 This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.